Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Special Advising No Parent Left Behind. I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I have over 34 years of experience as a classroom teacher, parent, coach, and advocate. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities, but welcomes everyone interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I'll be speaking about ways to approach dealing with real or perceived developmental delays in your toddlers and early learners. This is a stressful time for parents, and I feel it's good to take a step back, remind ourselves to breathe, and take on the what-ifs, which I know is not easy. After that, stay tuned for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip, followed by your good news community share. So let's take that space between stimulus and response and mindfully move in for another win. I have felt heartbreak at times watching parents become consumed with the perception or discovery of a delay in their child prior to a true diagnosis. And I want to offer some of my experience in the hopes of allaying even a modicum of the stress and anxieties that accompany this time. When a child is a baby or a toddler, it's not uncommon for skills to develop at different rates. A child may be wonderfully social but not speak, or they may talk a lot but primarily or solely to themselves. They may not respond to certain stimuli, or they may take longer to grasp concepts. Delays in the areas of cognitive, sensory motor, speech and language, and socio-emotional skills can be a cause for alarm for parents, for sure. In my experience, I have seen delays in many children. These can be a true indicator of a disability, or they can be delays in development that can resolve over time. So I want to speak to you about what happens for you when you as a parent notice something that is a little off in your child's development compared to the average. And this isn't for, it's not easy for me because my intention here is to encourage self-compassion and, and support mindful attention to the moment when such a concern arrives at your doorstep. I don't want to sound presumptuous as if this is an easy thing to do. I know it's not. My hope is to give you some things to think about in terms of how you might want to pursue your concern and, and how you might respond to it in a way that keeps you focused on both managing what's needed of you at the time and the feelings that will arise. I imagine that as a parent, it might feel like the weight of every moment in your young child's life is contingent upon your abilities to do the correct things at the necessary times. And that's probably true. That brings with it mountains of pressure to get it right. I can also imagine that it's the reason behind why a parent might react with fear, sadness, and more over the discovery of a delay or possible delay in their son or daughter. After so many years of meeting parents and students and seeing the variety of paths that children take on their personal journeys, I've come to know one thing. I don't know anything when it comes to predicting how a child who displays delays as a baby or a toddler will develop and if those delays will resolve or remain a constant in their lives. Everything comes down to the science and research behind evaluations of skill areas and the best conclusions that professionals in the field, along with the parents, can make. It's, so, it's sad for me to watch parents possibly get ahead of themselves with worry and a sense of loss before enough time has passed to watch trends, evaluate, and assess more than once. 
When situations are new to us, we are typically ill-equipped to handle them with the facility of somebody with more experience. Seems obvious, but not always. And because it's not obvious in a moment or a time of trauma, for example, receiving a diagnosis or noting a delay, people forget that they're opening the first chapter to a new book and can't be expected to know what it holds. I believe it's important to remember how far our imaginations can take us and the dark places we can land. I ask these parents to remind themselves how ripe green they are to their child's situation and to cut themselves a break. Instead of jumping to the dark places immediately, I recommend that when you notice something of concern, it's wise that it be addressed to your doctor and professionals in the field for feedback. Most likely, they have seen enough to be able to give you an informed grasp of what you're seeing and help you manage your concerns. That said, trust your gut and the evidence you feel that supports your concern. If you disagree with the findings presented to you and your gut says different, seek out more than one opinion. Also, remind yourself that waves break in different directions, and they can't be predicted. I hate to see anyone worry themselves unnecessarily before having answers. If it paid money, I'd have a very healthy wallet for all the times I've done exactly that. I know it's human nature to want the best for your child. If, in the instance that you receive confirmation about a delay, lean on this fact. A diagnosis of a disability is clarity. And anytime you know what's happening, it's a chance to get a grip on it, to understand it, and to find ways to integrate it into the paradigm that has shifted from intentions and goals you set prior. It will change your life and your plans. Yes, that is true. We can set intentions, have goals, and physically create environments to accommodate them. But then life happens and there are no guarantees. And that's no one's fault. Not even Joe Namath's guarantee was a guarantee because he couldn't control the outcome of the Super Bowl. It was a bold assertion, fodder for the media. He could contribute his skills and hope for the best that all the cogs in the wheel functioned well enough to increase his team's chance of victory, but that's all out of his hands. So if we can manage what is in front of us without projection, we can see more clearly, learn from, and cope in ways that reduce stress and anxieties. When one's plan for their expected physically and neurotypically healthy child is altered by a disability, the natural reaction is to feel a variety of things, anger, sadness, depression, disappointment, perhaps some of these feelings directed at a higher being or energy, all normal and expected. If this happens, look around at the world you lived in minutes before the diagnosis and take in that moment. Your dreams may be altered, yes, and that can be devastating, but the external world has not changed. It will continue to offer you opportunities to build a future. And so here, I ask you to focus on your child. The sooner there can be acceptance of who this individual is with the abilities they possess, maybe not the ones you hope for, but still their own, you can begin to gain a new perspective, one that has a chance to grow you in ways and directions that you never dreamed possible. How you respond will set the tone for your child's future. Now let's focus here on the beginning of the journey. What about those parents who suspect or may have had a professional suggest that something is off? How do you want to approach that, and how do you want to deal with that? Unfortunately, there is little preparation, if any, for parents who are expecting and preparing for the birth of their child. Of the realities related to the child being born with a disability, 
and I think this is a disservice. Knowledge is strength. This would be an opportunity for a parent to process and perhaps be better equipped to develop an informed hypothesis about what they're seeing and experiencing. I want to take a moment here to refer back to a professional suggesting that something is wrong with your child and who might quickly toss out a diagnosis without enough information, time with your child, or evidence-based evaluation. One observation is not enough. I've been surprised myself when my gut told me the red flags I perceived might point to a more serious problem with certain kids, only to be disproven or disagreed with by the results of an evaluation. It's not that an observation can't be informative or telling. It's just that it's a step, and a step in a, a longer process. So you have to be careful not to jump to a conclusion or, or think that someone knows based on a little time with your child. There needs to be a series of things and processes, assessments, evaluations that to go through. Otherwise, there could be choices made for your child that are not appropriate for them and perhaps set them on the wrong path. On one occasion, a principal I knew observed my two ASD students for the first time for about 30 minutes and concluded one to be wonderfully attentive while the other not so. But had she come back later that day, it might have left her with a completely opposite conclusion. So the lesson here is to not base a decision on one interaction. Time and resources are needed. In another case, there was a teacher who had a tendency to diagnose her students with new disorders that could be alarming for parents. I believe her intentions were good, but there are those professionals who want to be the ones who catch a problem. My advice is to be as informed as you can be. Check things out for yourself. Learn as much as you can on your own. Ask questions and get more than one opinion, as with anything health-related. Now back to the journey. Generally, parents are not prepared for delays. They can come as a shock and, and are no doubt upsetting. And they can send parents into overdrive perseverating on a perceived problem in a state of high anxiety and worry. My intention here is to attempt to quell some of the nerves associated with the discovery of delays and the heavy sense of gloom that can accompany them. I see parents who are jumpy and scared, and, and I hate to see them suffering a loss, especially when it may be too early to truly know if a delay is permanent or not. No one knows the future, and although I make no promises, I want to share with you stories of two children who seemed lost delayed and behind their peers, and if decided early on that they would remain that way, perhaps their IEP goals, programs, and class placements wouldn't have given them the opportunity to achieve their potential and become the amazing people they've become and are becoming. Case one, a little girl I'll call Sarah, was the definition of a towhead with bright white blonde hair and a generally happy demeanor. She was a pleasure to have in the classroom as she was obedient and friendly. But there was a sense of her being absent most of the time. She struggled to communicate, her academics were subpar, and she kind of floated through life seemingly in a dream place. She was about three or four years old when I met her, and if you asked me to project a future for her, I wouldn't have felt very confident that much would change in the areas mentioned because she didn't appear to possess those natural gifts. After a few years, she was in my class, and we decided to live out a wedding between Cinderella and the prince. So we costumed up, made a castle cake, created invitations with wax seals, and invited the entire school to witness the nuptials. It was really fun and sweet, and the kids got into it. 
Sarah was Cinderella, and she embraced the idea with gusto, soaking up the attention and beaming throughout the event. It was a time when she started to emerge. Not saying this occasion was the cause, but I could see her become more outgoing and interactive around that time. These traits had begun emerging, and her friendships with her classmates were a big reason, I think. Having directed and led a theater class for my students and school for 27 years, I learned about the benefits of putting these kids on stage, learning their lines and staging, practicing with a regular schedule. All these things helped them to take on responsibility that didn't always emerge from the academic arena in the early years of their education, be it math, reading, science, etc. They didn't always inspire. But the theater seemed to work the reverse magic. When kids became a part of the story and received praise for their efforts, they became motivated. And this often bled into the other areas of schoolwork where they began to excel or at least improve. Sarah, for whatever the reason, started to come out of her shell and blossom. Before you knew it, she was a social butterfly with her peers and everyone loved her because she had such a kind heart. She went on to high school and succeeded there until her graduation. I've lost track of her, but I I believe she went on to college. But bottom line is I'll always remember when I realized that the light for her had indeed gone on. In the second case, another little guy I had the pleasure of meeting when he was about 17 months old, who I'll call Jack, displayed very inward behaviors. He didn't love interacting with anyone but his parents. He was happy playing alone. He attended my toddler group and was not interested in interacting with the other children. He parallel played and cried with regularity when he didn't get his way. At home, he would work with me, but his attention span was short, and he often stared out the window or at a spot in the room for minutes at a time. Combining that observation with his speech delays, meltdowns, his obsessive need to line up all of his cars, a natural affinity for numbers, letters, and colors, with a high rate of recall for them, while showing some signs of gross motor delays, all led me to seriously consider that he might fall somewhere on the spectrum. I'm not an alarmist, but I voiced my concerns and his speech teacher noted the same traits I had. However, after being assessed, it was concluded that he was not on the spectrum. Due to his delays, he was treated at home with an IFSP and then placed into a small classroom setting with an IEP for preschool. Today, nearing the age of five, You would not believe that this was the same child. He has blown all of those delays out the roof. Apart from some minor fine motor issues, Jack is incredibly social. He is responsive to others, be a child or adult, and interacts with full conversation, noting his observations and expressing them not only voiced but in sign language, a skill that he's he's learning and it's taking off due to him being a coda, a child of a deaf adult. He's improved in every area so much so that he's being recommended for a mainstream kindergarten without an IEP. Now, I'm not promising the same success or growth for every child. Not even Joe Namath can guarantee that. The delays your child is displaying may be true indicators of underlying causes. What I want you to remember is that disabilities come in all beautiful shapes and sizes. If looked at or considered as flaws in a human being, then you will never be able to accept the abilities of your child or see their true potential. They may see it, however. The individuality of your child, the significance of your child. They are who they are, just as you are who you are. I'll say it again, as I'm sure I've said in the past. We want to be accepted in society, flaws and all. 
We all have limitations and none of us are the best at everything. It doesn't mean that we don't have tons to offer and that we're not deserving. If you're up against a delay with your child, don't panic. It's okay. Feel all you feel and go through your process. But just do this one thing. Don't project your fears onto them. They don't know any different. Keep them happy and exposed to life. Model for them what you'd like to see improve, but accept where they are in time. Talk to someone and begin to educate yourself and get a variety of professional feedback. If you have a therapist, use that time to pursue avenues for coping. And above all, as Uncle Sidney said, acceptance, forgiveness, love. Accept your child. Accept yourself. Forgive your feelings. And love, love, love that little one. It's time now for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. Today's tip relates to state agencies providing services for exceptional needs children. In New York State, the Office of People with Developmental Disabilities, or OPWDD, is responsible for coordinating services for New Yorkers of all ages with developmental disabilities, including intellectual disabilities, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, autism spectrum disorders, Prader-Willi syndrome, and other neurological impairments. OPWDD certifies and regulates more than 700 nonprofit providers who deliver direct care to individuals with developmental disabilities. These providers offer a wide range of services and supports, which visitors can review in the provider directory. Investigate an OPWDD or a comparable office in your area to receive the supports you're entitled to. I will post a fact sheet for OPWDD on the resource page of my website. Today's Good News Community Share comes from PositiveParentingNews.org entitled Promoting Social Skills in Toddlers with Autism. Contributors to this news report include Cindy McGrath, Executive Producer, Julie Marks, Field Producer, and Roque Correa, Editor. From the Ivanhoe Newswire in Orlando, Florida, the COVID-19 pandemic brought many changes for families, especially for those with children with learning needs. Now, a new study shows that supportive interactions between parents and kids can help toddlers with social situations. Parents are always looking for ways to help their kids make friends. But if you have a child with autism, social interaction may be tricky. Now, researchers say with the right tools, parents can help toddlers with autism engage with others. In a study of 144 families of toddlers with autism, the toddlers whose parents took part in a special program to support social communication showed significant improvements that they maintained over a six-month period. Social communication is about paying attention to others and sharing their interests even before a child has learned to talk. Scientists say parents can try some of the same activities at home to help toddlers pay attention to faces and, and take turns while communicating. For example, hide a toy in a small bag and pull the bag close to your face so your toddler will look at you before pulling out the toy. Then, make an excited noise so they will look back at your face. Another idea, play dress up with silly hats or scarves. When your child looks between the object and your face, give meaning by smiling and giggling. And here's another idea to try at home. Use a remote-controlled car and make it go. 
Give meaning to the experience by stopping the car and gasping out loud. Wait for your child to look from the toy to your face. When they do, smile and make the car go again and repeat. I want to thank you for listening to this episode and and hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, and outpouring of goodness and positive role modeling for your children, while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. You can contact me directly with questions, comments, or if you're interested in parent coaching through my email, specialedrising at gmail.com or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. If you'd like to share some of your success stories with the audience, please send them to my email. Let's show the world what's possible. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising.